Exodus. We are continuing in our sermon series on the book of Exodus this morning. Need to pray that the Lord would uh, make my brain work properly this morning. All right, we're going to make this happen. Well, as you're turning to the book of Exodus, we're going to start actually in the book of Luke, chapter 12. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus, teaching to the crowds, answering this question, tells this parable of a man who had everything he needed and more. And decided that what he was going to do when he had everything he needed and not enough room to store everything he needed to actually, in fact, just create bigger storehouses to store more of his stuff. He's called a fool by the Lord. Yes, he's a fool. But what about a thief? Is he also a thief? I'm going to argue yes that he is a thief as well. This man is stealing from his neighbor. Not only is he a fool for hoarding all of this stuff that is not going to go to anyone else, but I'm going to argue this morning that he's also stealing from his neighbor. Now, how can that be true? How can that be true? Well, the question is, did God bless him because he loved him more than others? Or did he maybe, or did, did this man maybe do something so fantastic that he deserved so much wealth? Or maybe, maybe God blessed him in order that he would be a blessing to his neighbors. Basil the Great, uh, the uh, church father, uh, uh, Bishop of Caesarea, in his book on social justice, which is a collection of four sermons on this passage. He says this, O mortal, recognize your benefactor. Consider yourself who you are. What resources have been entrusted to you from whom you have received them and why you received more than others. You have been made a minister of God's goodness, a steward of your fellow servants. Do not suppose that all this was furnished for your own gullet or your own stomach. Resolve to treat the things in your possession as belonging to others. After all, they bring pleasure for only a little while, then fade away and disappear. But afterwards, a strict accounting of their disbursement will be demanded from you. Resolve to treat 
the things in your possession as belonging to others. What a radical idea. Is that really what God calls us to? Is that really what God calls us to? Well, I think there is some consistency with what Basil is saying with the whole of the scriptures. We see throughout the Old Testament, there are laws given that describe, uh, these are what we call gleaning laws. That as you owned property, you were to not uh, harvest everything to the very edge because you were to leave that for the traveler, the sojourner, for the poor among you. That you were not to uh, maximize everything that you could get out of your field because, in fact, what you had partially belonged to these folks. And God was going to use that to provide for them. Certainly, there are laws demanding restitution for things that are stolen and also for tithing for the purpose of giving to the poor and needy, for providing for neighbor. We also see this in the book of Acts. Uh, We saw this when we looked at the book of Acts uh, when we were walking through that book. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, remember, I I said this during our, our sermon series on the book of Acts, clearly not everyone sold everything because they were meeting in homes right? Like somebody owned a house uh, because they were meeting in homes. And yet there is this sense in which they were willing to sacrifice their material goods for one another, which is what Basil is getting at in his quote. It feels extreme, but maybe the way it feels extreme has more to do with how we've been influenced by the culture around us than by the extremeness of what it actually is teaching. Could it actually be a right exposition of the law? This morning, we're going to continue in our Ten Commandments, looking at the Eighth Commandment, you must not steal. So, don't do it. It's bad for you and it's bad for me. The end, right? Done. (laughs) You must not steal. Well, it's far more complicated than that, right? As we've been learning throughout this sermon series, we view the Ten Commandments in such a basic way where it's like, well, that's very obvious. Don't steal what other people have. That seems obvious. And yet we've seen throughout this as we've looked to our confessional standards, the Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, and its exposition of the Ten Commandments, we've seen that there is far more to this than just that. That within the Westminster Larger Catechism, on each commandment, it talks about a duty that we are required to uh, perform and a prohibition, something that we're not supposed to do, based upon these commandments. So any commandment that's worded as don't do this, it also implies that you must do something else. 
So there's a duty required by it and a prohibition to it. We see this consistently throughout scripture, particularly with this one, Ephesians 4.28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. He doesn't end there. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. You see, there's two sides to this. It's not just not stealing, but it's actually giving generously to others in need. As the Westminster Larger Catechism breaks this down, the the sections on the Eighth Commandment are incredibly challenging. I would encourage you to check this out. I think it's questions 141 and 2 maybe? Don't quote me on that. Uh, there's a lot of them, right? 140. Uh, so, but you can look up the Westminster Larger Catechism and uh, scroll to that section of it. Um, but it is incredibly challenging because it spans such a wide variety of things. Some of what the Westminster Larger Catechism says in duties that are required is truth faithfulness, and justice in all business dealings with others. That not just stealing something from someone else, but also are you setting up business transactions in such a way that are unjust because you are taking advantage of someone else? Stealing, according to the Westminster Standards. Are you being truthful and faithful and just in all business dealings. Westminster Larger Catechism also goes on to talk about restitution of goods unlawfully detained. The reality is that reparations is a biblical idea. Those who have stolen are required to compensate. And actually, we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see examples of this, that you are required to compensate Actually, far more than what you simply have taken, depending upon what you have taken. That God requires us to make up for what we have done wrong. Giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessity of others. You see, I think one of the challenges that we face when we talk about money or talk about greed or talk about stealing or any of these kinds of topics in our American context is that we view generosity as an additional extra. Like that's a great thing, but it's not necessarily like the baseline requirement, right? Generosity is something over and above. I think generosity in, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, and I would say the whole of the scriptures Generosity is the right understanding of the law and the requirement of the Eighth Commandment, not some added extra. Again, to quote Basil, he says, It befits those who possess sound judgment to recognize that they have received wealth as a stewardship and not for their own enjoyment. Thus, when they are parted from it, they rejoice as those who relinquish what is not really theirs instead of becoming downcast like those who are stripped of their own. See, what Basil is getting at here and what I believe that this commandment gets at for us is starting to view your life differently. That you exist in a community And that God is going to bless you with things, certainly for your enjoyment, 
Absolutely. The Westminster uh, Standards actually go on to say that one way in which you break the Eighth Commandment is not enjoying what God has given you. Right? So it's not as though they are saying you must only have the bare minimum and no enjoyment whatsoever, right? Who does Jesus talk about in this, in this parable that he has? It's not somebody that's like, oh, you know, I'm just barely scraping by and uh, he's hammering him. No, 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 this is the person who has everything he needs and far more and actually he's going to tear down his current barns in order to build bigger ones to store more of his stuff. It's not that what God is requiring of us is to pursue poverty. That's not, certainly not the case. But to view ourselves as connected to those around us and as stewards of what God has blessed us with to give to others. To remember that you don't actually own anything. God owns everything. And he has made you a steward of the things that he has given, meaning you are required to obey your master in what you do with the things he has given to you. Westminster Standards go on to talk about working by all just and lawful means to grant, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate or material well-being of others as well as your own. You see, the standards are not simply saying, hey, you, if you have money, give it all away. Though Jesus might ask you to do that, right? He, he actually does ask somebody to do that. Like, we, we try and qualify that really, really fast. Like, well, he only does that to one person. But he does do it to one person, right? <laughs> and it's there. And we've got to grapple with that. And maybe the reason it makes me squirm is because I actually really like my own stuff. I'm, I'm really only talking to me this morning, guys. <laughs> like, I really like my stuff. And it makes me squirm and uncomfortable because I don't want to give it up. But what the... Westminster standards are getting at is, is beyond just that. But am I actually working for the thriving of my neighbor? Am I doing all that I can in my power with my abilities to help not just myself get ahead and compete with the neighbors to have nicer stuff, but actually helping everyone thrive together. It's a beautiful picture. The thriving of a community, creating jobs, creating wealth, concern not only for ourselves, but also for our neighbors. Now, you can say, that sounds great, but certainly that command was given in the context of Israel, where we were all kind of sharing that same idea together. And so is that only for us within the church to kind of share that idea together? Well, I would say actually the scriptures would teach us to, to be concerned about the well-being of our neighbors that are not believers as well. Uh, Jeremiah 29, when the people of Israel are exiled out of the land and they are 
in Babylon, this is what the Lord says to them. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the fruit they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that, they, that you may have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. See, the reality is we have been placed here by God to make this a better place. Part of understanding the Ten Commandments is moving away from the law, merely being a list of don'ts, but a guide to the thriving of life. What would it mean for us to act in such a way in this city? What would it mean for us to be concerned? Not just that we, we do the right thing, take care of our own business and not take from anyone else, but actually see ourselves as placed here by God to help everyone in this city rise up and thrive. To be known for generosity and creating long-term sustainable solutions. Now I can say with confidence that I believe you as a congregation are doing that very well. Now, I say that not to lift you up and be like, oh, you got nothing, no, no room for repentance and growth. We all got room for repentance and growth. But last week at our annual meeting, we got to highlight what God has done through the Mercy Fund here at the church. It's pretty incredible. We saw, I'm gonna maybe get these numbers wrong, but we saw 16,000, is that right? Or 18,000? Was it 18,000? 18,000? Yeah? $18,000 come into our mercy fund this year as a congregation. And we spent just over $12,000 meeting 100 mercy needs in the city. Close to half of that was within our congregation, and close to half of that was those outside of our congregation that we got to bless in this city to create space for others to thrive. That's awesome. We want to continue to do that. And we want to see that not simply as this added extra to the Christian life, but a way in which we are helping to this community to thrive and obeying the Lord. It's awesome that we get to be a part of that. And Chris is doing great work in that. And you can partner with him and volunteer to help out in the mercy team and go on some of these mercy runs that he does and bless others. It is an incredible experience. It is not by any means easy. It is incredibly difficult and complicated trying to help folks that sometimes don't even want to be helped. It's incredibly complicated. But that doesn't mean it's not worth entering into. It's worth entering into. So I would encourage you to continue doing that, right? You are doing well in that. Let's keep going. Let's keep going as a congregation. Now, obviously, those are some of the duties given by this commandment. But there's also prohibitions given by this commandment. Obviously, theft and robbery. Don't do it. 
don't steal. Don't take from others. But there's more than just that. The Westminster Larger Catechism goes on to say, actually, that man stealing is a breaking of the Eighth Commandment. This is actually incredibly controversial throughout American Presbyterian history in the way that this catechism question was used and abused because it clearly declared slavery was a breaking of the Eighth Commandment. Among other things, it was a stealing of labor, freedom, and the lives of others. And it was clearly identified as a sin, a personal sin in which people needed to repent of, not just some unfortunate reality that we fell into, but a personal sin in which people needed to repent of. That was incredibly controversial for those who were faithful to what the standards actually taught. Fraudulent dealing, any sort of deal that is not done in truth and honesty, Oppression. The gleaning laws throughout the Old Testament, these laws that, that required uh, landowners to, to leave extra for those who were sojourning or for refugees or for the poor or for widows, those laws were always connected with the idea that I am the Lord your God who delivered you from Egypt. It's always connected with this idea of I've delivered you out of oppression. Because you were in Egypt and I delivered you out of oppression, you must not oppress others. Oppression steals opportunity from people. Meaning we, as those made in God's image and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, need to oppose all oppression that steals opportunity from people to create and to thrive. You see, these things are connected. It's not just alleviating oppression, alleviating poverty, but also helping to create thriving community, helping to create jobs for people, helping to create space for people to use their God-given abilities and talents to help others. Again, this commandment, like all the other commandments, is connected to the idea that we are created in God's image. Meaning we are designed to create. We are designed to build, to make, to work, to do glorious things. And we, as God's people, ought to help others discover that for themselves and build opportunities for those things to happen. See, it's far more complicated than just don't steal. Extortion is something we are prohibited from. Laziness is also mentioned. It's a stealing potentially from your employer, right? Paid to do a job, being lazy in your job is a stealing from your employer, right? We got to be consistent on these things, right? And not just say like, yeah, yeah. All right, we got to give our stuff, stick it to the man. I'm going to do that by being lazy in my job. Breaking the eighth commandment, right? Got to be consistent in seeing how these things happen. It's not simply a, uh, I am going to uh, give freely, but not also work hard to create 
more opportunity. No, I'm going to create and work hard to make more opportunity for myself and others. My primary focus being on how I can help honor God in the stewardship of what he has given me. Other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him or of enriching ourselves. What the Westminster Standards say. That would include things like predatory lending, excessive rents with poor living conditions. These types of things are are the same unjust, sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor. Just because it might be legal doesn't mean it is right. And we ought to challenge those things within our city and within ourselves which do those things. It's one of the big problems we have faced in trying to provide mercy for people in our city is housing and the difficulty of that. There are ways that you can be involved in helping that. If you have the means, you could buy property and rent it out without making a profit because you want to steward what God has given you for our city. You could actually help to think through, help with uh, city council and other places to think through ways to create laws or uh, shape policies to help uh, tenants have rights uh, to, to actually take care of those things. There's lots that we could do in that. It's pretty complicated. I don't have any of the answers. I'm saying you got to figure it out. <laughs> I'm just telling you you got to figure it out, right? I'm not, I'm not providing all the answers, right? Part of your stewardship of God's gifts is to come up with solutions to those things, to get creative, to actually figure out, hey, how do we help this city thrive? Now, why would we do all of this? Well, I think that Jesus' parable is an extreme example for sure. It's an extreme example of something that we do all the time. In big, obvious ways, but also in small and subtle ways, we steal because we have idols. We steal because of idolatry. We steal the pleasures of tomorrow for today. We steal what rightfully belongs to others or we steal from ourselves the joy of the kingdom all because we don't trust God. The reason we are trying so hard to build only for ourselves is because we don't trust that God's ever going to provide. Why does this man Build, tear down his barns and build bigger ones to store more things because he doesn't trust that his harvest will be good next year. Right? Imagine, apply this to your own life. You have an opportunity to help someone and yet there's this inclination quickly to be like, yeah, but I need that for this or for this other thing. Or what if this happens? Or what if that happens, right? We start going through all of these what ifs rather than trusting the Lord that he will provide. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't 
wisdom and saving and talking through those things. That's clearly true, right? The scriptures are very clear. Like for you to give everything away and not be prepared for an emergency because, uh, and then put yourself in need doesn't actually accomplish the thing that we're trying to do, which is help everyone come out of situations of emergency, right? I'm talking about beyond that, beyond the wisdom of preparing for those things in which you Immediately, when you get a raise, you think, hey, man, how do I get nicer stuff? Instead of maybe, how do I help others get stuff? It's because, ultimately, we're afraid that God isn't going to show up. We don't trust him. You see, sealing, we're not providing for the economic well-being of others, as we have seen, is it reveals our mistrust of God. And this is actually exactly where Jesus goes. As soon as he tells that parable, this is what he says next in Luke 12. He says, Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food, and your body is more than clothing. Jesus isn't saying in this, don't worry about, you know, your vacation and your retirement and your, he says, don't worry about what you will wear today or what you will eat. That's really hard. Don't worry about your basic needs for life is more than that. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as, beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that, they are, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. And give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. How are we supposed to move beyond don't steal to the working and thriving of all people within my power to help? By listening to Jesus. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. The way in which we move forward in this is not to be like, man, I got hammered this morning in that sermon. He pointed out all the things I do wrong to steal. 
I didn't even think I, I didn't even think of that. Man, that's, that hurts. It's not to focus on that. It's to focus on the fact that your Father in heaven delights in you. He loves you. And it is his great happiness to give you the kingdom. What does that mean? Friends, do you know that you will inherit the earth? You will get everything. Everything in the new heavens and new earth. You get it all. Because he loves you. Because he has said, I have set my affection on you, even though you steal, even though you hoard your stuff for yourself, even though you're selfish, even though you're greedy, all of those things are true. And yet I went to a cross to die for you so that I could give you the kingdom because I delight in you, because I love you. I knew exactly who who you were when I was getting you. And I did it anyway. It is my great pleasure to give you the kingdom. We could spend all afternoon here in this one little phrase. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Set your sights on something far better than stuff. There's far greater things out there the happiness of your father to give you the kingdom. And then he will, by his spirit, awaken you. I warned them a little too early. And then I got going. I I should have thought. Gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. I was going to go in more. I didn't think about that. So we're going to keep going. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that there's something far greater. And if that's the case, then the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you where you need to hold on to your house and invite the church in and where you need to sell your house and give it to others. He's going to do it. We so quickly, when it comes to everything in the law, but particularly these things, we want a checklist. Like, did I do enough, Lord? Give me the checklist. Did I do enough? Did I do these things? It's not how he works. He says, I want you to set your sights on me. And in my joy to give you the kingdom, I will show you the way. We're going to have to figure that out together as a community, what that looks like. And using our gifts for the, for the sake of others, giving and lending and pushing for the economic well-being of our community, all of those things we can do only when we delight in the Father's care for us. When we trust that even though my circumstances today might not show it, the Father cares for me and will show up for me. This is where we need to focus our attention because Jesus loves you greatly and he will conform you to himself so that you can use everything that God has given you to love your neighbor well and bring glory to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we need your spirit.
This is a hard text. Particularly in our cultural context, it is really hard for us to talk about our stuff might not be our stuff. That you might have given us some stuff so that we would give it to others. Holy Spirit, would you prompt us, even right now, what you want us to do? But would you not do it out of our guilt and shame, but do it out of our obedience to you, our Father, because you have great joy and happiness in giving us the kingdom. Because you're good. Because we can trust you. Because we love you. And because you love us. Jesus, do all these things for the sake of your glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen.